Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. I read this week in uh, studying for this, um, Kelly Needham, she says this, the essence of Christian friendship is companionship forged in the fire of two convictions. So Christian friendship, we're talking about something a little different here. Um, we're not we're not talking about just, just somebody you, you, you click with and you hang out with and you laugh at each other's bad jokes. We're, we're talking what's a little bit more. If you, if you become a Christ follower and the other person is a Christ follower, what does that relationship look like? What, is, what sets it apart? And so she says that it's two convictions. Jesus alone can satisfy the soul. And his kingdom alone is worth living for. So as a Christian, when I link up with another Christian, Jesus alone. So there's a lot of things that are going to come along in my life and offer me momentary satisfaction. And as a Christ follower, I realize that's all temporary. That's all temporal. It's nice and it brings joy. The scripture even says that sin is fun for a season. And uh, I, I bet we could all give a hearty amen. But, but for, hey, he wasn't supposed to. But, but, uh. So we can all say, yeah, there are things that bring me a temporary fix, a temporary joy. But in Christ, when you, when you surrender to Christ, when you say, Lord, you are eternal and I'm not, I'm, 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 I will fall and I'm frail and I'm weak at times and I, I do people wrong and I'm selfish and greedy. When we understand that dichotomy between how holy and great God is and how broken we are and how often sinful and selfish we can become, then we start to realize that, you know what, only Jesus can truly satisfy the human soul. I'll try to fill it in. I'll try to fill that hole with a lot of other things, but it's only Christ. And then the kingdom is worth living for. The idea that, that why am I here and what am I trying to accomplish and what am I trying to do? Again, many of us, we find a lot of substitutes. We, we try to build up our careers. We try to build up our job. We try to become excellent with athletics. We try to um, do everything to look as pretty as possible and to get the attention and the eyeballs of the room. And we do all of these things. We try to stock money away so that we can be safe for retirement. And, and, and we try to get a nice house and get a nice car. We try to do all of these things, but it's really we're building up a miniature kingdom, a kingdom that at the end of the day is going to fall, and everything we put in that roof is going to turn to rust and dust and go away. And so the Christian friendship, the Christian friendship says, Jesus is worth everything, and the kingdom is worth living for. I've been blessed, as many of you know, my best friend, uh, his name's John Smith, and it's not because I'm making up a best friend, like I was... I was going through Walmart or something, and I saw the telephones, and it was like John Smith, 555. I was like, that's a good name. So I'll just tell people I have a friend. They won't believe me, but so his name's John Smith. But that's his real name. And uh, so the, the reality is, is that um, he and I met while I was in college, and he's a couple of years older than me, and, and he came knocking on my door. I had applied to work a summer camp. And, uh, and, and he was the boss of the summer camp, never met a guy before, but at 6 a.m., one morning, he comes banging on my dorm room door at the college. It was, it was uh, June, something like this, and, and, and he banged on the door, woke, woke me up, and he went and took me to paint, and uh, we, we were painting these old cabins, these old cabins where we were going to be summer camp counselors that year, and uh, I tell you what, when I say there was no ventilation, 
And nowadays, we have these, these paints that are, that are, you know, made for sissies. Um, back in my day, uh, the paint would get you high. Like, you, you needed to have some, some ventilation, but we're talking old-time camp, you know, buildings. There wasn't any ventilation. So at about three hours in the painting, like, you know, you could have told me anything. Like, I was seeing, you know, space... Uh, spaceships flying by and stuff. I mean, it was crazy, but we had a, we had a good time, and that's how my relationship started with John, was just him uh, encouraging me to, to do some things and work at the camp. And then over the years, now we've realized recently that we've known each other longer than we didn't. Like, we have a friendship now that's gone longer, so I'm his fault. I'm John's fault. So you don't like me, it's John's fault. He was my mentor for a while, and now we're best friends. And uh, we also know each other longer than we know our wives. Some would say, he's my husband. But so, it's a joke. So anyway, I got a great best friend. But you know what defines that, that, that friendship is, uh, it, it's not like every time we get together, we're, we're grabbing and opening up the Bible. But every time we're getting together, we are the Bible for each other. Um, we, we can do the, the dumbest things, the funnest things, the craziest things. But what grounds all of that friendship is the fact that he wants God's best for me. And I want God's best for him. You know, I really believe in friendships. One of the reasons we can't do the couple of things that I'm going to share with you in a minute. One of the reasons that we, we don't do these things and we don't live up to this standard of friendship, and we don't really try to put ourselves out there, one of the reasons is this. We care more about the friendship than we do the friend. The reason we won't be this type of friend that I'm about to share with you is that we care more about having the friendship than we do the person with which we're friends. What does that mean? It means that you care about being valued and being loved and having that person like you more than you actually care about their well-being at the end of the day. Because in a, in a Christian friendship, in a Christian friendship, we say, man, there is a goal you're going after that's bigger and beyond knowing me. And I want to be in your life in such a way that I'm pushing you in a good way, in an encouraging way, in a fun way, in a loving way, but I'm pushing you towards Jesus' goal over your life. But many of us, we don't want to nudge our friends, push our friends. We don't want to, to, to encourage them to be a little better. We don't want to push them towards Christ because we feel like, man, if they don't like where I'm nudging them, then they might abandon me. So I'll play it safe. And I'll bite my tongue when I see my friend doing damaging things to themselves. I'll bite my tongue when they're compromising their character. I'll bite my tongue when I know they're not seeking the Lord and the decisions that they're making. I'll, I'll bite my tongue when they're, they're giving an eye to a woman even though they're married. I'll, 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 I'll bite my tongue. And so over time, what happens is you lose the idea that this friendship is a unique Christian friendship. Because your friendship with them is like everyone else in the world. You just might have a few more jokes in common. And so I don't know about you, but I, I, I grew up in, you know, middle and high school, and it always befuddled me. It always rocked my world when somebody would say that they had like seven BFFs. You ever know people like that? I've got seven best friends. The word best 
<laughs> it means something. You don't have seven. And so the idea is that, that I, I don't know about you, but I really believe that we all need one or two, a couple of people in our life that'll really, above everything else, push us towards Jesus. Now, I want them to like me, and I want to like them. I want, them, I want to have fun with them. I want to do crazy activities. I want to develop memories. I want to do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I really, really, really believe that, that you have an opportunity in selecting friendships and building friendships the right way. You have an opportunity to see Christ on earth through the eyes of your friend. And you have the opportunity for your friend to be, to be seeking the Lord over you and encouraging you towards Jesus. That is a unique, unique, unique friendship. That really should be more of our best friend scenario. I, I, I feel like in our, I mentioned recently to somebody, we, uh, I'm blessed with a lot of uh, good friends here at the church. And as a pastor, that's very, very rare. Um, I promise you, most pastors that I talk to, um, they actually try to give each other advice to say, don't be friends with your congregation. And that's sad, isn't it? Because what they're scared about is that if people close to you get to know your flaws, then you're not able to speak the scriptures properly because they won't look at you as being perfect. And so you've got a lot of pastors that can't have friends. And I've been blessed here over the years to develop with a, a couple of dozen people some genuine friendships where I care about them and I love them and they care about me and they love me and I know that they're broken stuff and they know my broken stuff, but yet we're pushing each other. But I told one of them the other day, I said, you know, I really want us to nudge a little more towards Jesus. I think it would be great for us to really nudge towards Jesus because I think we're great at the fun and the great at the celebrating each other and great at, 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 at lifting each other up in a, in a fun, encouraging way. But man, I really would love to hear more conversations about how you're doing spiritually, how, how you're doing walking with God. And so today, I really hope that even for my own friendships, um, by, by preaching this sermon, I hope that all of us would kind of just say, okay, cool, what, what one thing could I notch up a little bit? How could I check in on somebody? How could I send that text? How could I shoot that email? What can I do to, to, to nudge my friends towards Jesus? I want to show you a graphic. I, I had a, a premarital session this week, and um, uh, if you looked on my Instagram, the couple brought me a captain's hat. Uh, because they knew I got in the fishing. So um, you can now call me Captain P.T. Fishes, Pastor Tolly. So Captain P.T. Fishes here reporting for duty, and uh, here's the thing. So they brought me this hat, and, and uh, we're joking around and everything, but I got into the premarital with them, and uh, we started to talk, and, and I said, you know what? I showed them this diagram. This diagram is a diagram that I use in, uh, in, in premarital, but the facts are, this is the diagram that you should live with with all your friendships. This diagram is what you should, should live by for every friendship that matters to you in Christ right here. And uh, if you're here with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, scribble this down, take a picture real quick. But uh, it'll help you out. The idea is that most people without God, you take off that top section and you have two people that are just trying to get along. And what happens is it becomes a tug of war or in many relationships, a 50-50 deal. And you will never, ever, ever, ever be on the same page the way you could because 50-50 is not going to work. 
You cannot build a relationship off the, I'll meet you at 50%. Why? Because you never wake up, both of you, fully, wholly engaged. I, I, I wake up some days and I'm like, man, I, I, I forgot to put that on my calendar, but I'm tired. I got wore out since I said yes to that commitment. You're never going to fully wake up and be 50-50 friendships and meet right at that perfect center. What you have to be is all in. Both parties have to be all in for each other. So if you're going to be a friend, you've got to be all in on that friend. If you want to be a, a husband or a wife, a girlfriend, a boy, it's got to be all in. Because you've got to go all the way across to the other side. But look how large the gap is. We end, up, we end up playing tug of war with each other. We end up arguing over stuff. We end up saying, you don't know me, and you're different, and I'm different, and all this stuff. And the reality is that in Christ, we're not supposed to delete God from the scenario. In Christ, what we're supposed to do is grow closer towards God. That's what that arrow represents. If I grow closer towards God, then I'm going to be naturally growing closer towards my friend, the people that I love. Why? Because great relationships, great friendships, great marriages, they're built on the tools that you're going to gain from growing closer to God. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? How, how, how's that really? I mean, I get growing closer to God is important. I mean, that's what you're, you're paid to teach us every week. You know, you, I get that part. But, but why? how does it help me in my friendships? It helps you in your friendships because as you grow closer to God, you go through some things. You have to realize, wow, I, I have to, to be humble before God. I have to, Philippians chapter 2, you might want to write that down. Philippians chapter 2 teaches me to have the mind of Christ considered others above myself. Well, that's great in a friendship. That's excellent in a friendship. And so as I grow closer to God and as I become the man that God desires me to be, then what happens is I'm automatically growing closer to the type of friend that everybody wants in their life. Somebody who is humble, somebody who considers them above themselves, somebody who is, is all about serving and the betterment of the other. And so as a result, as you grow closer, when you get in a Christian friendship, when you get in a Christian relationship, and both parties say, you know what, I, we're not going to play tug of war like this. We're not going to try to bridge the gap in our own free will. What we're going to do is we're going to run towards God. And as we run towards God, look what happens. We run towards each other. And if you meet somebody at Christ, a lot of the arguments can simply be dealt with by saying, what does Christ have to say to us? What, what does it look like for me to, 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 to surrender and, and to want your good? What does it look like if I'm not always trying to get my way in this relationship? What does it look like if we don't always talk about ourselves, but we ask and inquire about the other? Wouldn't that make for a good friend? If you had somebody in your life or a group of people in your life that genuinely wanted your best interest and genuinely laid themselves down for your benefit and genuinely wanted to know what God's mission and vision of your life was so that they could help you achieve it, wouldn't that be good? If you're blessed to have anybody like that, cherish them. Write them a note this week and say, you know what? You, you came to mind and I'm really, really proud that I know you. Thank you for being in my life. And if you don't have that yet, begin praying even now. Say, Lord, who do I have? Who can you send me that would help me be that? And before then, can I grow closer to you to become that type of friend for them? Because there might be somebody out there that needs me as a friend. Maybe it's not about what I need. Maybe it's about what someone else, is, someone else needs. In a God-honoring relationship, the goal is to get to know God. And by default, you'll become a better friend. Here's what I'm going to do in our, our next uh, 14 minutes or so we have left. I'm going to give you four, four things, four keys Four ways a true friend 
is revealed. Four ways a true friend is revealed. And I want to encourage you to take these home and, and read them and pray over them and just say, man, how can I get better in these areas? There's a scripture, uh, Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are, are, are the wounds of a friend. You say, pastor, what are you talking about? Wounds of a friend? I don't want my friend to wound me. Did you know your friends wound you anyway? How many of you have been wounded by a friend? Yeah. This is the intentional good type of wounding. This is, this is the wounding. Faithful are the wounds of a friend mean that when, when, when you're in a relationship and you see that person going astray, you don't mind being the person to push them out of the way of the train. You don't mind being the one saying, I'm, you might not like me for a week, but I'm going to help you save your marriage. If I, I, you might not like me right now, but I'm going to remind you of who God's called you to be. And so and initially, those are wounds. Those are saying, hey, you're not there yet, bro. You're not there yet, sister. You've got to get something together. We don't like those kind of wounds. We want friends that are just going to build us up all the time. But I got news for you. When you were in sixth grade, were you complete? Yes or no? No, of course you weren't. Aren't you glad you're a different man or a woman than you were in sixth grade? Yes, so you're always in development. Until we see the Lord face to face, we're always going to be in development. So the reason that you need good godly friends is you need some people that are checking in with God on your behalf. And so that way they can give you some, once in a while some, some faithful wounds from a friend to say, listen, this is what you're doing. This is what you're saying. This is how you're behaving. And it's causing you to damage others or damage relationships or lose out on opportunity or, or, or put off your spouse. And, and, and listen, you might not like me bringing this to you right now. But this is not good. It's not godly. It's not good for you. And I love you too much to leave you the way you are. Faithful wounds of a friend. You see, but we like the kisses from an enemy. We have a tendency to want the kisses from an enemy. We don't really care if they have our best interests at heart as long as they say the things to us that we want to be said. As long as they tell us that we're smart and strong and fast and competent, as long as they tell us that they're really proud to be around us. We don't really care often. The scratch and sniff test, does it work? We just want people to feed our ego. And I've got news for you. You're either going to live according to ego or you're going to live according to the Spirit of God. Ego is flesh. Ego says you've got to be respected and you've got to be valued and you've got to be better than your competition. And guess what? There is no competition. All you and I should be competing against is do I line up with the design of God when he imagined me? When God imagined me, am I lining up with what he imagined or am I impacted by the enemy? But you don't, you're not competing against the rest of the world. But oh, listen, wounds of a friend are going to say, listen, Tali, you're not living up. This is, this is something that's a pattern, and I'm worried that it's going to hurt you long term. Can, can I ask you, what, what, what was going on there? I saw this behavior. What, what was going on? Or, or I see, why, why, do you, why do you do the thing you do there? Is there something deeper? Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. If you're writing notes today, the way to be a true friend is to speak truth in love. The way to be a true friend is to learn to speak truth in love. When, whenever I talk to um, my best friend or even close friends about tough conversations, I don't get any pride out of it. 
I get zero joy. How do you can know your heart is right? Is, is if you get zero joy in having to tell them, hey, this is a bad thing. Hey, this is broken. If you get pride out of doing it, like if you walk in a room and you just say, man, I can't wait to tell that person, then that's your issue. I would just stop right there and bite my lip and walk away. Because if you're excited in confronting somebody, then really you're, you're prideful. But if you're humble in going into that conversation and saying, hey, I know who God called you to be, but right now you're way over here. What can I do to help encourage you to get back to being the man or the woman that God designed you to be? And that conversation happens with complete humility. Why? Because I know that somebody else could call me on the carpet for something any day. I know that I have flaws. And I know that if God is looking out for me, he'll bring somebody to remind me where I've fallen short. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Speak the truth, but in love. Sometimes people believe love and truth are on opposite polar ends of the spectrum. That you're, if you love me, you're always going to tell me I'm great. That's some of the worst thing you could do for people, is to always tell them. I mean, I feel pretty great most days, right? But I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not excellent. And so what's important for us is to understand that we can speak the truth in love. Find a way to be humble and say, hey, is this what God wants for you. Let us consider uh, Hebrews uh, 10, uh, 2 says this. Let us consider how to stir up. Everybody say stir up. Stir up one another to love. Everybody say love. And good works. Say good works. Good works. Let us consider how to stir up, how, how to, to stir up the pot in each other. When you see your friend um, getting dormant, when you see your friend getting stale in their faith, when you see your friend getting stale when it comes to love, when you see your friend getting stale when it comes to good works, the scriptures say your job, a true friend, is to stir up love and good works. If you're writing notes down, you might write this. The way to be a true friend is to bring out the best in one another. The way to be a true friend is to bring out the best in them. Because if you're a friend, you know what their best could be. You know their potential. You know one of the most damaging, damaging things is to have somebody see that you have potential, but they never call it out. It's one of the most tragic things you could have in life. It's for somebody to see some good in you that could be even crystallized, but they refuse to open the mouth because they don't want to offend you. This is why you and I, as individuals, we need to learn how to be unoffendable. We really need to learn how to be unoffendable, how to get, to, to get in a relationship with God to where God knows us, we know God, and we're good. And then when somebody comes along and says, hey, this is who you could be. Look, I see your potential. I see, I've seen glimmers of this, but, but you're not living a consistent life. And we say, you know what? I'm unoffendable. I, I want to hear what you have to say. And I can go and I can pray it through and I can say, okay, Lord, is this true about me? What, are these examples accurate? And once in a while, somebody who loves you might get something wrong and that's okay. But I would rather they come and they say, hey, I, I, what's up here? Rather than to them say, man, I can't even talk to that person. To have unrealized potential and the people closest to you never call it out, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Some of you know that you're, you, you, you're called to be more. Some of, not Baltimore, but to be more. Some of you, maybe some of you are called to be more, but, but you're called in order to be a greater man or a greater woman. But the tragedy is you're living less 
because you don't have friends in your life that are nudging you to what you already know in your heart. You already know in your heart that he's called more out of you. You already know he's called you to go on mission. You've already known that he's called you to be more generous. You've already known that he's called you to be more loving. But you've chosen not to, and then on top of that, you pick some friends that are too scared to talk to you. Get some friends in your life that'll say, you know what, no, 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 I see so much more in you. You're, you're so much better than your behavior. You're so much better than what you've been doing lately. Let's get back to the, the version of yourself that looks more like Christ. Who are you called to be? And who are you allowing to call that out of you? That's a true friend. Next one, number three. Behold, some men were bringing in a bed, and a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. This, this, was a, this was some friends that said, hey, my friend needs to get before Jesus to find healing. And you, you may not be in a situation where you're going to have to carry somebody in their bed, but let me tell you something. If you're a true friend, if you're a godly friend, if you're a biblical friend, what you're going to do is you're going to do everything in your power to bring your friend before God, both physically and in prayer. So some of, some of us might need to call each other once in a while. Hey, I missed you at church. What's up? Is everything okay? Are you good? Are you sick? Can I bring you some food? That, that might be the phone call that just says, I haven't seen you in a while. I, I, I love you and I miss you. I, I, I haven't seen you. And so you might literally need to bring that person back. Or it might be, hey, can I swing by and you just have a conversation? How's your faith doing? How, how, how's your heart doing? How are things going? And I'll ask this question once in a while, and those of you that know me a while know that I do, and I'll just say, you know, how's your soul? How's your soul doing? Half of you are like, yeah, he's asked you too, yeah. I'll just ask people, how's your soul? Because I want to know what's going on in here. And you know what? About 50-50, 50% of the time, people will tell me about activities they're doing that week. And I'll go, yeah, that's cool. How's your soul? Because if our soul's not doing good, and we know it, that becomes an uncomfortable question. And so we try to deflect and talk about some positive thing going on in our life, but that's not our soul. That's, that's who we are at work. That's who we are around the house. That's an activity. That's a function. That's not our soul. And so as a friend, to be a true friend, you should be bringing your, your, your friends before God, both physically, maybe in conversation and things like that, but, but most importantly, spiritually, in prayer. Are you a, are you a true friend uh, when you tell a person, I'll pray for you, and then you never do? I don't call that a true friend. I would rather you never tell me you prayed for me, but you bombard heaven on my behalf. I would rather find out two years later that you were praying day and night for me over a situation, and I never knew. I would rather have that. Why? Because prayer, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much, affects much. If you want to affect change in my life, and if you want to be a good friend to me, I need you praying for me. I need you going before God to me. I need you taking my name to the throne room of God's grace. The same way these friends took Jesus physic or took the, the, the man physically before Jesus and lowered him down into the house. Like, get him. He's got to get before God. If for his life to be better, for his health to be better, he's got to get before God. And some of us, we're too scared to do any of that. We say that we're Christ followers. We say that we're a good Christian friend, but we're really not. We're not praying over this person before God. 
Another reason, you know why? Because half the dirt they're involved in, we're involved in too. And we don't want to pray about that because we might get our feelings hurt. We might get convicted. What a shame that you and I aren't good friends because we're too worried about getting our own feelings hurt. What a joke of a friend it is that's more worried about their own emotions rather than my well-being. A true friend says, Lord, I want to pray for, for my friend who's involved in XYZ. And then the Spirit of God says, but Tali, you're involved in XYZ. So then we go, here's how it works. You go, you're right, Lord. Let me first confess my sin. I'm not there yet. And Father, I, I repent of that behavior that is not of you, that is not good for me, that is not a long-term plan you have over my life. I'm called to better. You have given me so much more to live for. I don't know why I keep acting like that. And so, Lord, I repent. I want to turn around military style from that behavior. Now, I also want my friend to know you, Lord. Can you help me help them get close to you? To be a true friend, bring your friend before God physically and in prayer. Last but not least for today, I hope that you've had enough insight to to think through through Scripture and some Scriptures to go back and reread. Whatever you do, the Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Is being a friend a part of all? All the things you do? Of course it is. So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So being a great friend, one thing that you can do to be a great friend, the way to be a true friend is to, to bring God glory by working for your friend's good. Bring God glory through working for your friend's good. What that means is I see my relationship with my friend not just about what I can get for me. In fact, because I'm a good friend, I care more about them than I care about what they can do for me. How many of you want a friend that cares about you more than they care about the friendship, right? Amen. You want that. I want that. You want a friend that's going to say, you know what? I, I so believe in God's power in you. I so believe in God's call in you. I'm willing to risk the friendship if it means saving the friend. I'm, I'm willing to risk offending you and you getting mad at me if it means that a message gets across that I don't think anybody else is bringing. I've had several conversations in my life where I, where I just felt like, man, I, I, I've dropped some hints and I made a nudge and, and I said, man, this is going to be risky. But if I love this person... I have to tell them that I care more about them than how they're going to treat me after the conversation. And, and, and what it is is that they're just so headed for a, a, a cliff. If the road is out ahead, if the road is out ahead and your friend is headed for a cliff, are you a good friend if you say, well, I don't want to offend them? The road is out, bro. Like, what are you doing? And, and what we do in relationships is we let people fly off of cliffs. And then we think somehow we're super spiritual or better when after they've fallen, we say, yeah, we all saw that coming. Whenever I hear that, I just want to slap people in their mouth. What, what do you mean you saw that coming? If you saw that coming and you care for that person, 
then you would have jumped on board and pulled him out of that moving vehicle. You, you would have done something. You'd have jumped in front and waved your hand. You'd have been hit by the moving car rather than to let your friend go off a cliff. But we live in a world where it is more encouraged to let people do what they want to do, even to the self-detriment, even to the fact that they hurt themselves. We'll let people hurt themselves before we'll interject and say, hey, bro, I think that that's not good for you. We'll let people fly off of cliffs and feel good about ourselves when we're sitting back saying, yeah, we all saw that coming. Don't ever be that person. Don't ever be the person that just gets some kind of joy out of saying you saw it coming. If you saw it coming, then you should intervene as best you can. You should take them before God. You should tell them the truth. You should call out the potential. You should see your relationship with them as giving God glory by looking after their good. I don't know about you, but these are the types of friends I want in my life. I want people who love me enough. They, they earn the inside track. They earn the right to be heard. Now listen, all of this stuff I'm saying to you, you are not allowed to go and just flippantly do this now with every associate you have in your world. There's an old expression I learned in college. Uh, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. So if you're not first going to invest a ton into somebody's life, if you're not going to make a lot of deposits, you have no right to make a withdrawal. Do you understand? If you're not going to invest into me spiritually as a friend, love me, if you're not going to go through hardship, if you're not going to give me grace and ignore some flaws over the years, if you're not going to do that for me, you have no business coming and trying to make some kind of withdrawal so you feel better about yourself. This is why it's so important that we live open-handed like Jesus and we spend more of our time investing in each other so that if we ever have to make a withdrawal, that's done with ease and grace and joy. Do you hear me, church? Amen. This week, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to go through and just ask the Lord, who, who deserves a true friend in my life? And then, Lord, based on these four things, these four ways to be a great friend, have I been a good friend and can I be a better friend? Don't start out saying, who's the first person I can go yell at this week? Because pastor said I got an invitation to just tell them all their stuff, right? No, that's not what it's about. What it's about is, Lord, how can I be a better friend for them? You see, um, a lot of Sundays I'll end up playing cornhole with a group, and uh, I can imagine now, uh, this afternoon... <laughs> Everybody's going to call a circle. We're just going to sit down. Pastor, we've been thinking about you. <laughs> we just think it's time that we break this down. Every time you make one in a hole, you don't need to scream and point your fingers at people. Like, you should be a little more humble. You got to set an example. They asked me the other day, they said, uh, what would Jesus do playing cornhole? You know what I said? Win every game. He's perfect. Listen, church, I hope today has been encouraging for you. I hope the word has been good for your soul. And I hope most importantly that it, 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 it uh, pays off dividends. And as we go over here and we have some lunch this afternoon, uh, I pray that you'll really seriously just say, Lord, uh, help me to find some true friends, people to speak love into me and people who, for whom I can speak love into them. Amen? Amen.